Thank you for that, Mr. and Mrs. Frazier. If you have your Bibles, if you can, take them again and turn them to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2, and we've been going over this series of chapters and uh, the book of 1 John, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this and uh, the study. And looking at the chapter 2 and beginning in verse 28, and this is what it says, as Pastor Rick has already read it, but as we look at this in a, such a way where the very first, the title of this is, Who Are You? Who are you? And just to sit there and think, who, who are you? Who am I? And who are we in Jesus Christ? Understand that we're all sinners and we are, have a great need for a Savior. We're all sinners. We've been born with sin. We are born with a sinful nature and that we are all in need of a Savior. And to understand that Jesus Christ sent His only begotten Son to this earth to die on the cross for our sin. And that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is simply by faith and trust, by believing in His complete, finished work on the cross, that the Bible tells us that we are born into the family of God. You know, as we read this, I grew up in, uh, I was born in Alabama and uh, went, moved there back to Alabama in my senior year of high school. My wife was born and raised there. And uh, if you talk to her, you can pick that up a little bit. And, um, but, but growing, but not growing up there and then moving back there and hearing our pastor and how he would speak and he talked real country and real slow and methodical and, and you'd be there, I'd sit there and I'm like, okay, I know where we're going with this, let's, let's. Let's get going. Um, but just slow in thinking. And, and it really helped me talking with people from Alabama because it was a very slow down, think before you speak, lots of thought, and you just took it word for word. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we read through the Bible and we get hurried up. And we try to go faster. Okay, we know where this is going, so let's just go in faster. And John, as a good teacher as he is, he takes his time to go back and reiterate some things and takes it nice and slow for our thinking. And so, to understand this as well, you think, why are we reading from some of chapter 2 and into chapter 3? Well, hopefully you understand as well, chapter and verse divisions are not inspired by God. It is given us, given to us so that we can kind of follow along. We're all in the same place. And as I was speaking with someone else this a couple weeks ago, they even told me that the paragraphs, some of us have Bibles where it has paragraph formatting in it, which is helpful as well. But even those paragraphs were not necessarily inspired. It was just to help us in writing, help us understanding certain places of the Bible, a thought, a particular thought. So as we take these verses and as we look at chapter 2, verse 28, and into chapter 3, verse 1, if, we are, if you are here this morning and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, who you are today, you are a child, you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. Amen. And he goes back and he takes time to say, now little children, we are children of God. We are to abide in Him. And this abiding is found also in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. 
John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, we all understand that verse where it talks about he is the vine, we are the branches. I, I always have to do it because with little kids, that's what you do. You know, you do, he is the vine and we are the branches. And, and we get excited about it and we think he's the vine and we're engrafted into the Father. We've been born into the family of God and the Bible goes on to say that no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You're sealed into the day of redemption. You're his child. And as long as there is life in the Father, there will be life in you. As long as the vine is producing life, then you can produce life as well. And you will have life, eternal life. And no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand, not even yourself. You have been born into the family of God. And so just to take time and to understand we are abiding in God those of us that have trusted Christ as our personal Savior. We are a child of the Most High God. It goes on to talk about as well the result of this. The result of this. We've been abiding, number one. Number two, the result is that we can have confidence at Christ's coming. Verse 28 talks about this. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. That's what it's saying there, that we can have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Christ is coming again. It's found in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. God is coming back. And and there's been times growing up where I've heard this preach. Well, this is talking about righteous lifestyle. As long as you're living right, you don't have anything to be ashamed about. And I thought, you know what? How untrue that is. Because isn't that works-based? Isn't that having confidence in our own works before God? And ultimately, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that we can have confidence because we know that we're a child of God. Not in our own works of righteousness. I often think of whenever we were in the military, we would watch these, you know, the videos, and if you ever want a good cry, you can watch some videos of parents coming home from war, being gone for an entire year, and their children running up to him and hugging him, and they're excited to see him because they haven't seen mom or dad for so long. And it just moves you with compassion, with just, just to feel what that child is feeling right there at that moment, to see that father who's been gone or that mother who's been gone for a year. And to realize this, that when Christ returns, you know, if you think about that child while he was gone, while that parent was gone, let's just say the father was gone overseas, that child, you know, was not perfect for mom the whole time. That child had ups and downs along the way. There were some disagreements in the house. There were some, there were some tiffs and there, there were things that maybe just weren't right in the home. But when daddy came home, none of that mattered. They were just excited. And if we're honest with ourselves, and if we base it upon works, and ultimately to realize this as well, we would think, well, none of us would feel worthy. I mean, there are so many things in our lives that we can look at and think that need to be fixed and need to be changed and need to be worked on and need to be more like Christ in this area or that area. And so ultimately, I would say too, even the best of Christians would be like, yeah, I'm going to stand ashamed before him because of the things I should have done that I didn't do. And that's not what John is saying here. We have confidence in the fact that we are His child. And as that, as that son runs up to that father and hugs his neck, I can only imagine what it's going to be like when Christ returns and we think there's our heavenly father. 
There's our daddy, Abba, Father. There he is. And the confidence is not in ourselves, but because we are his child. And when we let that sink in, we understand the third point as well. The magnitude of God's love. The magnitude of God's love. We see here in verse 1 of chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What manner of love that is. What manner of love it is for God to show us this type of love. You know, oftentimes I talk with teenagers or I talk with some adults as well and we're talking about some of the things that we get from our Bible studies and reading through the Bible and say, you'll never believe what I got from God's Word this week. You'll never understand what I, what I truly grasped this week, what I learned from God's Word this week. And we're like, okay, what, like you found out who the writer of Hebrews is, you know, you, you, you memorize the whole book of Romans. What, what exactly is it that is so great? And they're like, this verse, this is showing me the love of God. Look at this right here. This shows me how much God loves me. It tells me again in this way how much God really loves me. And I think there's so many times where we go throughout our day and we think, does God really love me? Well, if I was, if I was better, God would love me. No, God loves, God loves you for who you are. If you are a child of God today, God loves you with an everlasting, eternal love. That is the manner of God's love for us. That is the magnitude of God's love for us. And as we look at this, in this passage, we see in verses 2 and 3, it goes on to talk about who will become. Who we will become. You know, as we look around the room, and as we look at ourselves so often in the mirror, we we're supposed to build up ourselves, you know, tell ourselves in the mirror, like, yes, you can. And, you know, look at, find, don't find all the imperfections, but find the, the good qualities about ourselves. And, and we're to build ourselves up. And, you know, but there are some times, a lot of times where I look in the mirror, I think there is nothing good in this one. What, what in the world is going on today? What is happening here? How can God use me? Why does God love me today? with my sin, with my sinful flesh, with my sinful, with everything within me that wants to contradict so much the Word of God. Who we will become is found in verses 2 and 3. We have a blessed hope of salvation. As a child of God, He wants me to, to look at Him. He no longer looks at my sin, but he, he looks on the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, on my account. 1 John 1, 7 and 9, we've already talked about this, about walking in the light. And if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, we'll never get to the point on this side of heaven where we can look in the mirror and say, Aha, I've arrived. I'm no longer sinning. I've reached this miraculous plateau of, of sinlessness. It's not going to happen. And to understand, though, we have to have the vision of God. We have to have eyes as God does. To, for Him to look at us and see that there is something great. The story is told of Michelangelo. Not the turtle, but the artist. All right? Michelangelo. 
And he, out, he called in for a big, huge piece of marble. And he walked around it as they got it in there. He said, my, isn't it beautiful? One of his helpers who was standing there said, well, all I see is a great big piece of marble. That's all. Michelangelo exclaimed, oh, I forgot. You don't see what I see. I see a statue of David there. The helper looked again and replied as he walked around, well, I don't see it. Michelangelo said, that's because it is now in my brain and in mind, but I am going to translate it into this piece of marble. You know, when God looks on us, he sees something great. When God looks on us, he sees the blood of his son's righteousness. When God sees us, he no longer sees our sin and our lack of self-worth, but he sees something greater than all of our sin. One day, the Bible says in verses 2 and 3, Beloved, now we are the sons of are we the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, one of the biggest things is having patience and grace with others. We sometimes think, well, they, need, they should already be at this, at this point in their life, and they're not. If I'm honest with myself... I feel like I should be at this place in my life, and I am not. Because it is a growing process. We are to understand, though, that God has something great for us. We will not ever on this side of heaven become exactly what God desires for us to be, but when He returns, oh, when He returns, we will. And we will see Him as He is. Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is our life, <clears throat> shall appear, then shall we also appear with Him in glory. There's a wonderful thing coming. Heaven is gone its way. Christ is coming. And there's something to be joyful about today. 1 Corinthians 15, 40, 49 says, <clears throat> Excuse me. As He... And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. You know, we are now born in this sin because of sin came in through Adam. So now, now we are all born with a sinful nature. There is sin on us. There is sin in us and on us. And there is nothing we can do to escape it within ourselves. It is only by accepting the free gift of salvation. Where God's blood is in place on our account. And one day we shall appear, or we shall bear the image of the heavenly, talking about Jesus Christ. So who we are, who we will become, and thirdly, who are we to be? Who are we to be? Verses 4 through 7 speaks about this. Talking about Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sin. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth 
hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. It reminds us of Christ's mission on earth, does it not? What was his mission? To save us from sin. His mission on earth was to save us from sin and its penalty from sin, its sin on, that it had a hold on our lives, that the presence of sin in our life no longer has to be there, and one day we will be re- relieved from all of sin completely and entirely. This is where we talk about where we have, I have been saved, I am being saved, and one day I will be saved. We talk about past, present, and future. The blessed hope. Romans 8, 36-39 says, As it is written, For thy sake we're, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. Who we are to be? More than conquerors. Through God's help, we can be more than conquerors in sin. Sin no longer has to have a hold on our life. We no longer have to continue in sin because of what Christ has done for us and in us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That manner of love continues, and we can be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We look at this and we understand that we are to be wise as serpents and yet harmless as doves is even what it talks about there in verse 7. In verse 7, let no man deceive you. There comes a time where we must study the Word of God, to know it for ourselves, to apply it to our lives, to actually know Him. And yet there are so many people who are completely okay with just simply accepting Christ as their Savior, and moving on. And there are so many people who are okay with just sharing the gospel with someone and then moving on to the next person without real discipleship taking place. That, hey, God desires now for us to live a certain way, and yet they simply know about God, but not enough to really know Him and see Him for who He is, to live for Him. This is what brings us to the last point. Verse 4. Or cha- I'm sorry, point number 4, not verse 4. Verses 8 through 10. Who we cannot be. Who we cannot be. You think, well, we, we have the power to sin. You're exactly right. We can continue to sin. Yes, we can. We have liberty to do so. We can continue to live however we want in one sense. But we cannot, for we know and we understood back in the very first verses that we talked about, the love of God. Say, I don't understand. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. You see, Christ came to destroy the work of the devil, and he achieved that. Through the power of Christ, we no longer have to sin. We are no longer in sin. We don't have to be. 
necessarily. You say, well, I know Christians who have been saved and yet they're living a certain way. I know Christians who, who've professed to be saved, professed Jesus Christ as their Savior, and now they're living how they want to live. You say, what do you mean who, can, who we cannot be? We could be like that, you're right. But it will not last for very long. It will not last for very long because in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. And what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. You know, there are people that I know, Christians living in sin, and it seems like they're, they're somewhat miserable oftentimes. Sometimes they put on a really good front. Like there's no chastisement from God at all. Some people say, well, they can't live like that forever. They're, they're eventually going to turn back. They're eventually going to turn back to God. And this is God's driving force is because as a loving father, he will chasten his own to bring them back into the fold. But you know what? Sometimes they don't come back into the fold. For as we understand that the prodigal son, right? The, the parable, the, the, the father and his son, he, the son leaves home and is in the pig pen, starving. Probably not in the best of health, if you've ever seen a pig pen. Understanding that in, in order, if he were to stay there, what would happen? He would die. But he gets back up and he comes home. You know, there's also stories, if you, it's funny is, right before Hebrews chapter 12, there's Hebrews chapter 11. The hall of faith. Take your Bibles and turn just one page over from Hebrews chapter 12 to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at some of the names that are written there in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham, Moses, Noah. There are other names there as well. Some that we maybe don't have a lot of information about. But even just some of those names that I've said just now, thinking about how God had to chasten them as they were His children, as they went wayward to bring them back. But you know, there's another name there that always interests me, and that is the name of Samson. A man for several years lived a particular lifestyle that was against God. He knew it was right and lived completely opposite to it. And what did that sin bring out in his life? Well, God took him home early, did he not? God had a plan for Samson. Now, Samson went out heroically, quote-unquote, and by pulling down pillars, he committed suicide, and he died, and he killed Philistines, you know, but that's not that great of a story. If you look at it through the parents' eyes, that all they knew was their son lived this kind of lifestyle for, for so many years and never really, in one sense, came back. But you know what? He's mentioned in the Hall of Faith. You know why? Because he was born in the family of God. 
and not even himself could pluck himself out of the hand of God. And even though the trials and the things that Samson went through and the chastisement that he went through and how God tried to bring him back, we see how loving our Father is. We see how perfect His plan is for our lives. If we will simply obey His Word, He has great plans for us. But yet so often we live with a selfish mentality. We desire to do our own thing. And God takes time to chasten His own. God takes time to come alongside of us and chasten us as His children. Whatever disciplinary action that may be. But He's also that loving Father who cares for His own. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So let's read it backwards. What does it not say, right? It says, If it were to say there is condemnation to those who are in Christ and who walk after the flesh and not after the Spirit. There's condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and walk as they want to walk. There's condemnation coming. But they're still a child of His. Another verse that I was looking at was Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where it talks about laying up our treasures in heaven. Where Christ is speaking about laying up your treasures in heaven. Where thieves cannot break in and steal and rust cannot destroy and, and where it's something that is going to last forever. And then something very peculiar at the end of that. Chapter 6, verse 24, it says, For no man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I thought, wasn't he talking to Christians there? Isn't in that same thought he's referring to people who, have, who are trying to lay up treasures in heaven? Well, you can't do that if you're not saved. So, so he's talking here to those who have accepted Christ, and he says, and be careful, because you can only serve either God or yourself. Christians, we can only serve God or self. This is where John is talking about you're either ch- children of God or you're children of Satan. You're either living today for God or you're living for your own self, your selfish gain the things that you desire. For you cannot serve two masters. So we are to practice righteousness and love is the desire here from this passage. One verse that we didn't read, but it's because it's tying into the next part that I want to go into for next time I preach, but verse 11, it kind of hits on it in verse 10. It says, And this, the children of God are manifested in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. You know, one of the greatest ways to see if we're living for self or for God is just simply how we treat others. How much love we show to others. And so often in the church and in Christian homes, this is one thing that is lacking therein. 
is to encourage one another with our words of affirmation. To build each other up. To love on each other. As you look around the room and you think, yeah, I, I, you know, there's definitely a marble, there's this marble slab there. I don't see it, Lord. And we look around with other Christians and we think, I don't see it, Lord. But God sees it. God sees who they are. They're His child. And He loves them. How are we treating one another? With love? Or are we petty about certain things? Do we have critical spirits? Do we backbite? Do we gossip? Do we say even that which is true, but yet it's just unnecessary? And I'm guilty of it as well. But to look and just think, how can I be more like Christ? It's simply by showing others love. The unlovable love. Because that's what Christ has done for us. And that while we were yet sinners in our worst state, God sent His Son Jesus to show us the most beautiful picture of love that He would die for us. And that while we were yet sinners. We are so undeserving of God's love and yet He gives it to us freely, eternally, everlasting. So who are we? Who are you this morning? Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this message. I thank You, Lord, for Your Word and Lord, for Your love for us. And I pray that You would just help us just this week, even just this moment right now, to stop and take time to realize that we are loved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are loved in spite of our own faults, in spite of our own failures. Lord, You love us. Not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we could do, but Lord, you simply chose to love us. You simply chose to show us your love by sending your Son to this earth. Lord, I pray that if someone here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would help us, though, as Christians even, to grow in that love. To teach others the love of God because it is the love of God that constrains us to righteousness. And Lord, we just need to grasp that. To grasp your love. To show that love to others. Lord, I pray that you would help us to die to ourselves and to live for you. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, Maybe there's some things that God has shown you that don't really line up with His Word, aren't really characteristics, and maybe you've grown callous to those things. Simply allow God to work in your life, to humble yourself, to ask, to, to ask the Lord to search you, to seek, to see if there be any wicked way in you. And He'll find it. But we know on this side of heaven... There's always some work to be done. Lord, I pray that you would search us. I pray that you would show us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would not hinder anything that's coming up in this church. I think of VBS and the workers and everything that's going on. Lord, I pray that you would help us to search, to seek, 
in our own personal lives to, so that we may not hinder your word being preached. We may not hinder the testimony of Jesus Christ and what that love really does look like. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning, this week, as we strive to live like you. Lord, help us to just understand that we all have a free will and we are loved with an eternal love. And Lord, you desired and desire for us to live a life that is pleasing to you. We love you, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.